Hey, you guys, before the show with Dave Coulier officially starts, I want to talk to you about a couple things, one of them being BarkBox. BarkBox is amazing. They send you a monthly package of four to six natural treats and fun toys curated around a surprise theme for your pooch. Um, Wendy got her box today, and uh, she's been obsessed with one of the toys which has been nice because I needed her to be obsessed with something because otherwise she would have been obsessed with me. Not that I don't want her to always be obsessed with me, but you know, I needed a break. And this toy, which she had just loved everything that was in the box. Um, each month, BarkBox picks the best all-natural treats made in the USA or Canada and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs. If your dog doesn't like something in the box, we'll send you something they'll love for free. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Listeners can get a free extra month of BarkBox when you sign up for a six or 12 month plan. Just visit BarkBox.com slash BFF. That's BarkBox, B-A-R-K-B-O-X.com slash BFF when you subscribe. Also, I want to talk to you guys about Blue Apron. Blue Apron is amazing. They send you a box of fresh, high-quality ingredients, um, everything you need, perfectly proportioned to make a delicious, healthy meal. Um, and then also there's a recipe card, and they break down how to make it in pictures. You'll want to keep the recipe card for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Um, and Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they have the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers, whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes. They're bringing you the best. There's variety. They're flexible. Um, and you can choose delivery options to fit your needs. There's no weekly commitment. You only get the d- deliveries when you want them. And it's easy. Like I said, each meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow uh, recipe cards, and they can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Allison. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Allison. Blueapron.com slash Allison. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, here is the episode with Dave Coulier. Allison Rosen. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here in dining room studios with the one and only Dave Coulier. Welcome. Wow. Listen to that applause. That's amazing. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It's an overwhelming smattering. It's it's a gigantic audience. (laughs) That's right. Now, don't be nervous. Don't let the gigantic audience make you get too up in your head. I'll try not to. You're a pro. I'll try. I'll try. It's all I can do is try. I feel like already you're putting in an A-plus effort. You think so? I think, well, I don't know. I don't know how high the effort goes. I feel good about it so far. Some good good effort just getting here. It's 106. It's so it's hot, hot out there. Yeah, it's awful. It's hot. I lost five pounds on the drive over. <laughs> That's with the air conditioning on. So, Dave Coulier, I am enjoying The Adventures of Jimmy Booger, your ch- digital children's book, which has an album that goes with it. And as you read along, you can hit a little nose and it'll play the songs. 
And I feel like I'm older than the target audience, but it's right in my wheelhouse because well, I love you. farts and I love boogers. Well, farts and boogers was kind of the core of this idea. Actually, this is an idea that I've had for a long, long time. Uh, my best buddy, Mark Sandrowski, uh, and I have been best friends since we were eight years old. We're both from the same hometown. We grew up playing junior hockey together, same high school. Well, um, Mark now directs The Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. He's directed every episode of the show. and So we've been buddies a long time. And we used to always, when we were kids, we would always you know, pass notes in class. But it was always like a comic strip or a cartoon or something silly. And so um, I drew a nose one day with a booger character <laughs> hanging out of it. And, and it just said that the little thought bubble was, hi, my name's Jimmy Booger. And uh, so we we expanded on that. Many years later, we were doing stand-up, and Mark was actually opening for me at Laughs Unlimited up in Sacramento. And uh, we decided, uh, and now we're probably about 22 years old now, and uh, we were working there with another comedian named Steve Turner. And so I bought these big drawing pads. And so uh, we decided to get high one <laughs> night after the show at the Comedy Condo. And um, I said, let's get the drawing pads out. So the first thing I wrote in the first little square of the comic was the nose with Jimmy Booger. And I said, hi, I'm Jimmy Booger. And then I passed it to Mark and he drew the next panel. And we started laughing so hard that we drew like 30 panels. And so uh, the first one was the adventures of Jimmy Booger. And it was filthy dirty. Mm -hmm. And the second one was... What kind um, of filthy dirty? It was filthy like Jimmy goes to a brothel in, <laughs> in Greensboro. And, you know, he meets a girl. And then he falls in love with a cereal box because it's green. <laughs> and it's just really stupid stuff you, you make up when you're high, you know. And so um, it stuck with me. And, and we laughed so hard for my uh, birthday a few years ago. Mark had both of them framed for me. And the second one was uh, Jimmy Booger is Count Snotula. <laughs> and the only way you could uh, kill him was to drive a wooden finger through his heart. <laughs> and so it was really silly sophomoric stuff. And I, and I started to think, you know, um, with Fuller House being back on the airwaves on Netflix, I thought, you know, we're going to tap into this giant audience of kids again. So I thought this is perfect timing for Jimmy Booger. And so I started writing songs. And then I was helped by a lot of my uh, really, really talented friends. Um, John Stamos does the voice of Buck Naked. Lori Lachlan does uh, Sugar Booger, Jimmy's mom. Jody Sweeten um, is Emily Snodasaki, the most beautiful booger in she Nova has Scotia. Such a pretty voice. Doesn't I mean, every, she? I think everyone has a great voice, but I was really um, taken aback by the the country song. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. It's called It's Snot. Always pretty. Yes. A very haunting, <laughs> lilting, beautiful melody. And her voice is so um, is so good. Well, you know, I came up with the original story and then I had to kind of string it together musically. And um, I wanted to, I didn't want to do a kiddie book. I wanted to expose kids to different styles of music. So Dave Koz is on this playing mm -hmm. some jazz. We have some big band. We have some reggae. We have some Celtic music. We have... Uh, um, some rock and roll stuff. And, and so I wanted to just give kids music that they normally wouldn't listen to in a story that's very sophomore. And the idea to have the music paired with the digital book and where it plays as you're going through, where did that all come from? Well, it was an idea that was in my head and I didn't know if the technology existed mm -hmm. to be able to produce the back end of that. So I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to do it. 
and hope that I can string all of this together for iBooks and and Kindle Fire because those are two different back-end technologies. So when you output the final files, they're completely different. But I didn't know if, while we were doing this, if it was even possible to just have a touch-and-play mm. storybook like this. But I met a guy um, in, um, I think it was Terre Haute, Indiana, who could do it. And he said, I can, I can do this for you. Actually, said, I can do this for you, Dave. <laughs> I can do this for you. Wow, in Indiana. Yes. And so um, uh, he put it together and the whole thing worked. It's awesome. It kind of um, reminded me, when I was growing up, there were those books that you would read along and then it would be like, ding, turn the page. Yeah. You'd play a record with it. Yeah. Because I'm 100 years old. Yeah. So <laughs> I like it. It was nostalgic. You young kids today. In that way. Um, so I have not finished the book. It's actually, it's long for a kid. It and is. For it's, an adult, apparently. It is. It's 92 pages and some wonderful illustrations by a, a Disney animator um, named Bob Harper. And, um, you know, I, I just looked at some of the kids' books and I thought, boy, some of them are like 20 pages and they're just so um, basic. But I wanted to entertain parents as well as kids. So there's a lot of jokes that work on two levels, kind of like Rocky and Bullwinkle or SpongeBob and... And uh, that was intentional because if you're a mom driving around in the minivan with a kid and they're playing these songs like I Love to Fart, um, (laughs) you want to make mom and dad laugh too. There was something that I thought, there was a joke in there that was pretty subtle but amused me a lot, which is that um, Jimmy is going to make a video at a certain point. Right. And it's recommended to him that he does something, I forget, like high energy with a lot of quick cuts, quick edits. Yeah. (laughs) I just enjoyed the description of that kind of eye-catching video style. Um, So I have every intention of returning to it (laughs) when this interview is done. But I'm wondering, is, is there a message to the book? The message is um, let's get kids reading and uh, let's entertain them at the same time. So the trick is if you want kids to read, they have to be entertained. And so um, that's the basic message. There's really no, I'm not, I don't have an ax to grind or anything. (laughs) It's about boogers and farts. (laughs) So it's hard to have any kind of, um, you know, uh, high strung prerogative there when, when you're talking about that kind of subject matter. These are multifaceted boogers. There's a lot to they them. They are. They are. There's um. There's several layers they here going bug. on. They skate bug. They skate bug. Yeah. Um. They um. Well, you know, they work at. You know, they hang out at little sneezers. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, they uh. They have feelings and and uh. There's a song that Jody Sweeten sings with Robbie Wyckoff, who's the lead singer of the Roger Waters Wall Tour, and um. That's you know, don't judge a bug. By its cover <laughs> right. is basically what you're saying there. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of stuff there about um, girls and, you know, there, I guess there's a little bit of an underlying message there that, you know, that girls don't always feel pretty on the mm-hmm. outside. And people are always looking for that pretty picture on the outside. And it's, you know, take a look at yourself on the inside because there's some great stuff there. You just have to be willing to go inside and, and find it. So I guess there was a little message yeah, there. there's quite a bit in there, it seems like. Um, now, I I just hear the word fart and I laugh. Um, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> there's, yeah. I just think farts are hilarious, particularly my own. <laughs> Tee-hee. And you've made a, uh, this has helped you in your career that you think 
uh, this kind of stuff is funny. I'm wondering, oh, maybe, or do you actually disagree with that statement? No, so I do. No, I, I, uh, I come from a very large family, and and my joke is that I pulled more fingers than an orthopedic surgeon growing <laughs> up. I, I had seven uncles on my dad's side and two uncles on my mom's side, and um, it was constant. Hey, pull my finger. That was the big <laughs> joke, and they would get me every single time. <laughs> And uh, we farted a lot as a family, <laughs> and uh, it it still makes me laugh because I'm very childish. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Did anyone ever suggest to you that maybe you should grow out of this? Because I think if they did, they were wrong. Yeah, and I agree. I, you know, I, I always say if I grow up, I'll be out of a job, and and I don't want to be out of a job. I enjoy working too much, and and so I, uh, you know, I am compelled whenever I see anybody bend over to go <laughs> and it's just very immature, but I, I can't help myself. It makes me laugh. Um, you're married now, right? Yeah. How does your wife feel about this? You know, she, um, uh, well, my friends all say that it, she obviously doesn't have a sense of smell because she's <laughs> married to me. Hi, here's your dog. Hi, who is this? This is Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Oh, is she beautiful? Thank you. She is so. How old is Wendy? Wendy is two years old. She is just adorable. I love dogs. Dogs are kind of like the closest thing we have to angels on I our agree. on Earth. They're really like little. They're like angels. I agree. I mean, they don't have any kind of preconceived notion about anybody. Um, they just want to be your friend. I mean, look at she's sitting right next to you. They're faithful. They don't, you know, they just operate on such a basic, amazing just level. Pure innocent. Pure innocence. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. I love. I love animals. I'm a big. Uh, I uh, we we um we did a rescue dog. His name is Shorty. What's he like? He's uh like he looks like the dog from the movie Up. Aww. And people uh, stop us on the street all the time and go, "What is he exactly?" I'm like, he's part Velociraptor, <laughs> but he's a really cool dog, and we rescued him uh, a little over two years ago, and he's uh, he's an amazing dog. So you were saying that people say that your wife must not have a sense of smell. That's actually John Stamos's joke. <laughs> he's she obviously has no sense of smell. She married you, <laughs> yeah. But does she have the same type of sense of humor? Uh, she just looks at me and goes, "You are so gross." But, um. <laughs> The first time um, we spent the night together when we were just dating, um, I I farted and she, I waited until she was asleep and I farted and she laughed in her sleep and didn't didn't wake up, <laughs> which I thought to myself, I've really got to marry this woman. <laughs> yeah. Actually, something that comes up on my show a fair amount because I do the there's the, the show that comes out on Mondays, which is this the one on one interview. And then there's a Thursday show where there's a panel of us. And um, actually, I guess it comes up on the Monday show more often. There are certain people that feel like couples should never fart around each other. And I can't imagine that kind of existence. Yeah, it's such a basic element of, of being a human being and everybody farts, you know. I mean, it's like, how could you not fart when you're around that person probably the most mm -hmm. of any other person in your life? And so, hopefully you're relaxed. Yeah. I mean... That would make you pretty uptight in the relationship if you had to hold your farts all the time. I think so. I agree. I'm in I'm in your camp. 
Although, like, my husband will, you know, there's arm gestures that go with it. Occasionally, he'll stand up. I don't know that he'd appreciate yeah, sharing I did. this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a text. Um, we had a reading at at Fuller House yesterday at Warner Brothers, and um, Lori Lachlan was holding her stomach. She said, "I don't really feel very well at all. I got to go to the doctor." And I said, "Maybe you just need to really fart." And um, so she went and I said, well, let me know, you know, if something it's serious, you know, and just let me know, you know, I'm worried about you and this. So, um, she texted me this today. This one, it's official gas in it's all official caps. gas. <laughs> so what was your response? I said, yay. Can I pull your finger? <laughs> she said, yep, we could probably take out ISIS. <laughs> and I said, do you mean asses? And then she um, sent me a bunch of little emojis. emojis yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of turd, right? And a lot a of monkey turd emojis. And, oh. Yeah. So that's the kind of um, immature relationship I have with Laurie Lachlan. Doing um, Fuller House must be fun. It's a blast. It is such a gift to be able to come back and, and do a show that we love so much with people that we truly, uh, we truly love each other. I mean, we're, we really are a real dysfunctional family off camera. We, we see each other all the time. We've never stopped being friends and basically family, family members. We've been through the spectrum of what you can go through with people in their lives. Um, births, deaths, um, you know, uh, divorces, marriages, everything. And, and, uh, you know, we've been there for each other all along the way, but it's amazing that, uh, you know, our fans have continued to support us all these years and we've never really made the show for critics because the critics can't stand us. They, they we're a very easy, huge target. And, mm. and so how do you feel about that? Well, we make the shows for the fans and our fans have stuck with us, you know, over the years, we've never been off television since 1987 when we premiered on ABC and it's a ratings boon in, um, in television as far as syndication for Nickelodeon. It's, um, it's got incredible um, numbers. And now it's the biggest show for Netflix. We've set every record for them that you can possibly set. And so I think it's taken us a little bit. Um, we're a little off balance when we kind of think about it mm -hmm. because I don't think we expected it to be as popular today as it was. We knew we had a you know, a good amount of fans out there, but not like this. Mm -hmm. it, it's really been a little overwhelming. That's me. That's me. Just I'm screwing with the cap on my water bottle. So if you hear that, that's that's what it is. I'll stop doing that. Here, you can you can fidget with this squishy thing. This squishy no thing sound. is. That's, that's <laughs> it's nice. a uh, cell phone holder. That's nice. Jeff got it for is me. Is that Hello Kitty? Is that Hello it's, Kitty? Uh, no, I think it's an off-brand Hello Kitty. It's off like, brand? hi, cat. Yeah. <laughs> because my wife um, does the photography for Hello Kitty. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Is she as nice as she seems, Hello Kitty? Yes. <laughs> Not a diva yes. behind the scenes? Yeah. Um, so with Bob Saget, who I've interviewed a couple times. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love him. <laughs> I do too. Um, I tell people Bob is my filthy Jewish sister. <laughs> Well, there's kind of this discrepancy between, I think, his sensibility and the Danny Tanner sensibility. Oh, of course. And everyone knows that. Um, 
Do you feel there's a discrepancy between Dave Coulier and Joey Gladstone in that same way? A little bit. I'm not as uh, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed as Joey Gladstone is. Um, I, uh, I'm i not as naive. Um, <laughs> I've been in show business uh, for 37 years now, 38 years. So, um, you know, there's a that's a long path to be walking down for so many years. And so... Um, I've just never let the um, show business world kind of uh, shape my values, who I am. Mm -hmm. I still have a lot of the same friends that I've had uh, since I was a kid. Still do the things I've always loved. And um, Bob, you know, I always knew Bob was triple R. I played golf with Bob two days ago. And uh, I think I know mess. this because I follow him on Snapchat. He's such a mess on the golf course. <laughs> and he's on his phone the entire time in the golf cart. And I said, Bob, look, I'm see, I put my phone away. We're out here to spend time with each other. No, we got a Snapchat. Just <laughs> let me Snapchat this. Let me Snapchat that. And he's on his phone and he's texting. I said, Bob, look, get off your phone. Dave, I have really important stuff going on. And I said, well, I chose to not have important stuff going on today because I'm with you. And so he gets out of the cart and he's all, uh, uh, where's the hole? I'm like, it's that way. <laughs> oh, how far is it? I said, for you, it's about three texts and an email. <laughs> okay. So he didn't, he didn't take kindly to that. But I, <laughs> I finally broke him down after about seven holes. Have you ever felt um, constrained or hemmed in by the ultra clean persona of Full House? Now, I know that you, you did a specific like clean comedy I did. tour, right? I did. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm not a prude. I love the, you know, the Lenny Bruce's and George Carlin's and Richard Pryor's, you know, the Sam Kennison's, the Chris Rock's. The, I love that stuff. It makes me laugh really hard. Um, as a comic, as a stand-up, I came up the ranks of The Tonight Show when Johnny Carson was hosting the show. And I did my first Tonight Show with Johnny introducing me many years ago. And if you wanted to get on The Tonight Show, you just had to do clean sets. And at the time, there was a guy named Jim McCauley who was the talent coordinator for The Tonight Show. And he was at the improv or the comedy store every night. And I knew Jim through Gary Shandling and Brad Gray, who was my manager. So Jim would um, see my sets and he said, hey, I saw your set. Really good. Really good stuff. Uh, We got to talk. We got to talk. And I didn't want to do The Tonight Show because I felt like I wasn't. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't mature enough as a as a comedian to put several sets together if I did really well on the first set. And so um, he came up to me one night, and he uh, we were at the improv, me and Gary, and uh, we were sitting in the you know in the outside there. And Jim walked up. He said, "I want you to do the show on Thursday." And I said, "Ah, Jim, I'm I'm not ready." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. I saw your set tonight, Thursday. I'm going to call Brad tomorrow." And I I literally crapped my pants because I thought there's just no way. And I um, did the tonight show the following Thursday, but I've never, um, I've never been able to go on stage as a comedian and uh, curse because it just doesn't fit the way I think comedically in front of an audience. Um, I'm a jock. I'm a hockey player. When I'm in the locker room with the guys, I can be as, you know, as filthy as any of the sailors, you know, but, um, just as a performer, it's just kind of something that I'm not really comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, does that have to do with how you were raised or where do you think that comes from? 
No, my dad, I grew up Catholic and my dad swore all the time, you know, and, um, you know, I was always around swearing, but when I started as a stand-up, I remembered people saying, wow, you're completely clean. And they were kind and of uh, blown away by that. So I gravitated towards that and thought, hmm. And Jay Leno said something to me when I was when I was 19 years old at the comedy store one night. He came up to me and said, hey, Coulier, I saw you set. Really great stuff. He <laughs> says, uh, you know, if you work clean like that, you'll work everywhere. And I never forgot about that. And I walked away and I thought about it that night. And I thought, what a brilliant thing he just told me. Yeah, if you work clean, you'll be able to work corporate dates and colleges and bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, you, you know, first communion parties. You'll be able to do birthday parties. You'll be able to work anywhere. Have and, you done all those? And uh, I have. <laughs> I have. Yeah. I did a I did a bar mitzvah. Um, Mitzi Shore, the owner of the comedy store, sent Holly me. Holly Shore's mother. Holly Shore's mom. Dave, I want you to go do this party. Okay, Mitzi, where? It's for 150 Jewish plastic surgeons and their wives. It's a, it's a bar mitzvah. You'll be great. And I went, and they. It was this amazing house in Orange County, and they had this big ballroom in their house. And I remember the bar mitzvah boy. He sat in the front row and he kept giving me the finger, and he was flipping <laughs> me off. And he was saying F you and blow me and wow. Yeah. He, and it was right in the front row and I'm sitting there and no one else can see it. Right. Except the other kids and they're all giggling and the kids are sitting on the floor. Right. And I can't go after this kid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, okay. This kid's got me. He knows he has me. And so, um, I, I remember I, I said, let's, let's bring him up. And I, I said, um, did you know that we have a ventriloquist act? And I put the kid on my knee <laughs> and he was my ventriloquist puppet. And uh, I embarrassed him, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is like a very basic question. But to you, the definition of clean or maybe not just to you in general, definition of clean comedy would be obviously language, but content as well, right? Yeah. Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, uh, when Leno's working clean, Seinfeld, um, you know, guys that can go and rip through an audience without swearing once. Mm -hmm. But it's funny. You know, I see a lot of comics where, you know, every other word is an F-bomb and I just don't know where the joke is. I know there's a cadence and a rhythm that's very funny that the audience is buying into. But if you dissect the joke, you say, OK, this is just pure salesmanship here, mm -hmm. um, which is great. That's an art form in itself. But where is the really funny element if you pull all that stuff away? What's what's the message? What's the joke here? Right, right. So you grew up in Detroit? Just outside of Detroit. You're the middle kid of five, right? Middle of five, yeah. What was that like? It was like being the middle child, you know? <laughs> it was like um, everybody kind of forgets you. You're never in the, the home movies, you know? the You know, my two sisters got all that. Um, you know, but I was uh, I was lucky that my family is really funny. Are you the eldest boy? I'm the eldest boy. Uh, my family's really funny. Um, my aunts and uncles were all really funny. They used to sit around and we would go to my grandmother's house and uh, there would be 75 people because they all had five kids and, you know, and it was just a large gathering of people. And I remember them all sit, all the adults would sit at one table and they would talk about 
what was on the Tonight Show the night before. And my Uncle Dick thought he was Rodney Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. So he was always a, hey, I got no respect, you know. Hey, Davey, come over here. I got no respect. Oh, I want to tell you. You know, so I grew up in a, in a funny family, which was, which was great. And when did you start trying to make people laugh? I used to, we just had a family reunion in Detroit two weeks ago, and my cousins reminded me, they said, do you remember standing under the stairs at grandma's house, and whenever someone walked down the stairs, you would blow a a hand fart? (laughs) And I said, yeah, of course I remember that. Those were the, those were the growing years, you know? Um, And uh, that was kind of where... I started being funny and and I played hockey growing up. I played junior hockey and when you got 20 other kids sitting in that dressing room, it's kind of a built-in audience, you know? So I would do impressions of kids on our team or our coach or somebody that we knew in the neighborhood and and um you know, that was it and then my friend Mark Sandrowski was my partner in crime. And so he was another funny kid, but he was he was always the director and I was the performer mark's dad gave us an eight millimeter movie camera and we would make movies like the coke addict and it was a kid who was addicted to coca-cola <laughs> and uh you know we would make these you know and all our friends and parents would be the actors and and um you know it was it was great because i i had this wonderful supportive world as a kid to be funny mm-hmm. um go back to something for a second now what's a hand fart versus like a fart that you make with your mouth you just that's it you use your hand on one and your mouth for the other how do you do it well you just you know there's different, like could you do a some hand people fart? do well yeah it just oh. <laughs> you know just and when a, lot I sh- of, a lot of butt cheek sound in that one yeah yeah well there's that was uh, that could obviously be a man mm-hmm. or a woman you know but this is definitely feminine like <laughs> that is like yeah that is that's like the fart version of women who sneeze like this yeah. Yeah. And then there's like the drawn out woman fart, like, <laughs> like you really enjoy that one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you also an aficionado of armpit farts? Or those are never, never been big on the armpit yeah. farts. Not, but uh, I can do an impression of a dying walrus uh, in a swimming pool. Okay. But you don't have a pool here on your oh. show, so. <laughs> Oh, you have to be yeah, in the I have to pool? take my shirt off. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole production number. Well, darn. Do you have a favorite fart impression of yours? Um not really. Not a favorite one. Um I've been known to do celebrity wind impressions. Please. Dazzle us. Okay, here here's um <laughs> here's how you play. You, you just pick a celebrity. Okay. Someone it could be somebody in the news, anyone who's famous, um, and I'll do their wind impression. Donald Trump. Okay, Donald Trump. Now, is he wearing shorts or pants? Pants. Pants. He's at the convention. He's at the convention. Yeah. Probably a little flop sweat. Maybe he's sure. going on. Yeah. He's giving his big speech it's tonight. A big, actually, it's a big moment. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, this is Donald Trump, and he wears expensive pants. Mm-hmm. Probably expensive underpants too. Right. right. All right. Here we go. And and he seems kind of a guy is a little keyed up. Yeah. Yeah. 
More like Donald Trumpet. <laughs> um, okay. How about Hillary Clinton equal time? Hillary Clinton. Okay. Um, she's wearing a pantsuit, probably. Sure. One of her famous pantsuits. Um, is it morning, night? It's morning. We're going to set it up. Morning? Yeah. Okay. It's like 1130. It's like 1130. But for her, she's like probably well into her day. Oh, she's well into yeah. her day. Okay. The rest of us are just getting up, but she's well into her day. Okay. She's already got the pantsuit on. She's yeah. been on the treadmill a little bit. She's showered. Um, she's maybe done an interview or two and read a lot of paper. Okay. All right. All right. I got I to gotta get a little bit of a... <laughs> just boom. Because I'm not thinking that it sounds real feminine. Yeah. With Hillary, you know, like, like Taylor Swift. I was would, just gonna say Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift would be like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you, what do you think um, Kanye West sounds like? He's <laughs> <laughs> got a beat to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think of like some. Oh, uh, John Hamm. John Hamm. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Here we go. Um, shorts, pants, uh, naked in the shower. Ooh, naked. Naked. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the shower. In, naked the shower. in the shower. Yeah. All right, naked in the shower. Here we go. <laughs> A little wet back there. Yeah. He just soaped up. Yeah. I hope this question isn't too personal. Okay. But could we hear Dave Coulier farting? Um, yeah, here we go. <clears throat> you don't want a real one. No. You don't want a real no, one. No, but that. could you if I asked? Um, no, I'm not quite in the zone right now. Okay. Not quite in the Lori Lachlan zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine is just kind of like, not, you know. Huh. Uh-oh, now I could fart. <laughs> I talked about it. My body responded. <laughs> so now I'm see. I'm holding off now. Yeah. Um, Just know I'm sitting on a fart right now for you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me know if it becomes an emergency. It it won't. Okay. It won't. I have very. I got great like sphincter control. Really. I'm a professional farter. <laughs> John Stamos says I stunted the Olsen twins' growth <laughs> because when they were little girls, they were standing there, you know, right at the level. Of the three of you, would you say you farted the most? Oh, definitely. Really? Of me, Mary Kate and Ashley, or, <laughs> yeah, or me, John and Bob. You, John and Bob. No, and and you know, it's such a running joke that this script uh, next week that actually my friend Mark Sandrowski is directing, um, I actually crap my pants on Fuller House in a scene. I bring over donuts uh, from a place, a donut shop called Glazed and Confused. <laughs> And uh, we all get diarrhea. And uh, I'm kind of giving the episode away, but um, I actually crap my pants on the show. And it got a huge laugh at the table read yesterday because it's such a running joke with me that the writers finally wrote it in. <laughs> and now you have actually crapped your pants in real life? Oh, yeah. I think everybody has. You never have? You've never sharded? Or- um. I literally shit the bed one time when I was really sick. Did you? Yeah. I yeah. was, uh, it was one of those flus where you are getting up like every six minutes to throw up yeah. or have diarrhea. 
And I was so tired and so sick. And I, I just got back into bed and closed my eyes. And I was like, if, if I need to go, I'm sure I'll wake up. Well, that was where I made a miscalculation because the next thing I knew I went, <gasps> like my eyes shut open. And I just yeah. remember running to the bathroom, holding my little nightgown around me going, no, 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 no. And it was horrifying. I was horrified. Yeah, that's... And that was a story I would never have told for a long time. Yeah. Well, I think it happens to a lot more people than they're willing to admit. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I've actually shit my pants. Although I remember a friend of mine had a sharding experience and then was afraid to fart for a long time after that. Yeah. Like didn't trust herself. Well, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Especially like now I only wear dark pants. For this reason? Well, you just, you know, I, I think it's good to be cautious. Like, <laughs> I will never wear white pants. Right. Or like, you know, I actually light never khakis. would either. Yeah. yeah. I'm just too messy of a person. Um, In terms of spilling things, I realize. Yeah. I, sound like, <laughs> I'm <a slob. laughs> Who knows what that sounds I'm like? I'm a total slob. Like, we'll go out for uh, anytime there's any kind of a red sauce or a red wine and I have a light colored shirt on, mm. boom, like one little drop. Always, I'm I'm a total slob that way. Yes, that is me. In fact, I almost wore a white jacket today, uh, but I was like, I'm sure that I'll get lipstick on it. So I didn't. I just wore black, and I just feel more confident this way. My wife is is writing a book with her mother called I think it's called The Laundry Ladies, and it's and it's a book about how to get a stain out of anything. I love that. And they give you the um they give you the recipe for what you can combine to get like. You know, like lipstick out of a, right. a white shirt. Like, here's what you do. And so it's this really cool book that's coming out. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's cool that she has the kind of relationship with her mother where they can write a book together. Her mom's an author. And so they got this idea together because her mom, believe it or not, loves doing laundry. I, I, I believe it. I don't know why. I don't get it. She finds it very, uh, I guess it's kind of uh, a catharsis for her for mm-hmm. her day when her day gets crazy like you know um what's very soothing to her is going to do laundry what's your catharsis soothing thing to do when you feel all wound up um i like to fly airplanes and um that to me is uh very zen because i don't think about anything else other than the act of flying the airplane mm-hmm. and when did you get into that my dad took me flying when I was five years old, and um, when I was 18, I got my license. And um, it just feels like something I've always done. I've always been around airplanes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, yeah. So let's go back to your childhood. Um, growing up, you're a funny kid. Were you class clown? Yes. And I think I read, though, that you thought you would be punished for your antics, but you were rewarded instead. Is that right? Well, I could do impressions of teachers, and the teachers always thought that was really funny, that That's I could cool. do impressions of other teachers. And they'd go, hey, Dave, come over here. Do that. Uh, do Mr. Eddie for us. And I would do Mr. Eddie, and they would crack up. <laughs> and they got a kick out of it. When I was in um, high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school, and I could do a dead-on impression of about six different teachers, including the principal. And so I would go to the cafeteria table before school in the morning and I would do these stories with these made-up characters. And then I would do impressions of the teachers. And I would pass the hat and I'd get like six bucks for weekend beer money and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, 
one day I was doing an impression of Conrad Vachon, our high school principal, and he talked very nasally <laughs> like this. Hi, David. How are you? And I was doing this impression, and I was walking around, and everybody stopped and looked, and when I turned around, it was Conrad Vachon, our principal, and he said, I'd like to see you down in my office now. <laughs> and when I went down there, I thought, oh, man, this it's over. I'm getting kicked out of school. Um, he heard everything I said. And when I sat down, uh, he said, you know, I like that. I actually like that. In fact, I hate doing those goddamn announcements in the morning. Uh, why don't you do them as me? <laughs> and so uh, I, I told Mark Sandrowski, and we wrote a script. And I did the announcements the next day as our principal. And I remember the entire school was just waiting to hear if I was really going to do this or not. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember Mark, uh, we started the announcements and Mark would run out to the hallway and he'd go, the school is laughing. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and then he'd run back in. And he'd go, I'm going to go check to see if they're still laughing. He'd go, they're still laughing. Keep going. And, uh, and so I actually got to teach a class as Mr. Stark, who was a typing teacher. <laughs> and uh, he let me teach a class like the last week of school before we graduated. That's so cool that everyone around you had that kind of sense of humor. It was, uh, it was really supportive. It was, um, it was, I guess, unusual, you know, um, because I, I never tried to, you know, um, really make fun of people or, uh, you know, it was always kind of like, hey, you guys are all in on this with me, you know. And, um, you know, it wasn't mean spirited, I guess. Mm-hmm. So people kind of got, um, you know, kind of, uh, wrapped up in it. Do you feel like your, has your humor ever gotten maybe even accidentally mean spirited? Like oh, yeah. Ever, yeah. 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 Of course. Especially like family members, <laughs> people you're closest to, you always rip on them the hardest. You right. Know? Right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I was a handful. My brothers and sisters would tell you that, uh. I was a handful growing up. Were your parents supportive of the comedy? Um, my mom wanted me to go to work at Chrysler because Detroit, everybody works for the auto companies and she could get me in. Mm-hmm. Is that where she worked? Um, no, her husband, Tom, was an executive at Chrysler. And, and so she wanted me to work at Chrysler because I was, I was a good, uh, I could draw mechanical engineering drawings. I was good at that. And, and she said, Oh, you could be an engineer at Chrysler, you know? And, and I didn't, you know, I couldn't have been more, you know, not interested in that. And, and then when I, uh, I went to a college prep high school. And so all of my friends, when they graduated, all had a college that they were going to. And I decided to go into local radio in Detroit because I knew that I could write commercials and do silly voices in, in commercials. So I did that. And um, my dad said, hey, look, you know, just as long as it makes you happy, who cares? You know, you could be a forest ranger just looking at trees through binoculars every day. But as long as he, he goes, don't do what I did. He worked at Chrysler his whole life in a factory. And he said, just don't do what I did. Wait, is your mom's husband, Tom, your dad? No, that's my, okay. my stepdad. Your stepdad. Gotcha. Yeah. So both your mom's husband and your dad worked at Chrysler. At Chrysler. Yeah. Okay. It's either Chrysler, Ford, or GM there. You right. Know, you only got three to pick from back then. But um, my dad didn't really know what I did until I did The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my conversation with my dad, who 
is kind of inadvertently funny. He doesn't try to be funny. He just is. I did the Tonight Show, and I didn't hear anything from him. And back then, that was the only show. So you knew everybody in your life and everybody in show business had seen you the night before in the Tonight Show. So finally, I couldn't take it anymore, and I called my dad, and I said, well, Dad, what'd you think? He said, yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, when, um, are you, when do you go back now? I said, I don't know. He goes, well, they didn't tell you when you're coming back. I said, well, it's not like a daily job. You don't go and like punch the clock and, hi, Johnny. Hi, Ed. How are you? <laughs> Good to see you again today. He said, well, well, what did you say to them? Did you did you say some kind of off-color <laughs> remark or something and get in trouble? He goes, that mouth of yours gets you in trouble. And I said, Dad, I didn't say anything. He goes, well, it's kind of odd that they don't. you don't know when you're going back. So that was my dad's whole take on it. But he loved being able to tell people, did you see Dave on the Tonight Show? He finally got it. Like, oh, my son's a comedian. I get it. Did My eyes were getting very wide during that story because I can relate because I feel like parents just have this uncanny ability to take something great and make you feel like it wasn't as great as you felt like it was and also yeah. maybe things are all messed up. Was that your reaction to that conversation with your dad? Well, I understood where my dad came from and I understood that Show business was so outside the parameters of his thinking that I had to just understand, oh, of course a guy who works at Chrysler doesn't know what it's like being right. backstage at The Tonight Show. Right. How old were you when your parents split up? Nine. I was nine. What was that like? It was awful. It was really awful because it tore our family to shreds. And that was back at a time where I didn't know any other kids in our neighborhood whose parents were divorced. So I was like the first one. And I remember Mrs. Sabatini one day, I went down the street on my bike and was playing with Dan and Tony Sabatini. And they walked outside and she just grabbed my shoulder. She goes, Dave, I feel really bad for you. And if you ever need to talk about anything, you can come and talk to me. And I was like, well, I just want to go play baseball. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I know my family's messed up. But um, for me, it was actually a big catalyst when my parents got divorced to being funny. Mm -hmm. Because I really discovered that laughter was a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And has I imagine that has remained a coping mechanism for you? Um, I I It evolved into um, something that I got a lot more joy than dealing with a divorce. It, it became something that I just really um, could express myself. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, have there, have you ever gone through a phase of your life where you have felt like you've to a degree lost your sense of humor just because they, maybe things have been too tough or depression or anything like that? Uh, I, no, no. Um, I tend to have gallows humor. I've, I've lost my sister Sharon to cancer. I lost my niece Shannon to cancer. I lost my mom to cancer. Um, you know, so Bob Saget has lost both of his sisters and we, um, we always had kind of dark gallows humor to deal with the pain of mm -hmm. that. And so Bob was like, all right, I finally got you beat. I got two dead sisters, <laughs> you know? And so we would do this dark humor and people would go, you too, really? Like, it was like, well, that's how we deal with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I never lost my sense of humor. There were times when I thought, as a professional person that um, show business had kind of kicked me to the curb a little bit. But I think if you do this long enough, you're going to have those ups and downs where you do feel that, where you say, man, 
I can't get arrested. What did I do? All of a sudden it's gone, mm-hmm. you know? So I've, I've had those moments and then I've had moments like now where I, you know, I'm so doggone busy with so many different projects going, um, that you just go, well, where was this, you know, 10 years ago? Um, do you feel like those losses? Cause I hear that. I hear your sister, your niece, your mom. Um, and it's a lot. Do you feel like those losses changed you? I think those losses change everybody in some way, shape or form. I, how can it not, you know, you lose your mother, your, my sister was 36 years old. My niece was 29. One of the youngest breast, um, uh, cancer cases in the country, uh, when she got her diagnosis at, uh, 23 years old. Um, you know, those kinds of things, um, you know, whether you like it or not, shape your life and they shape the tone of your life and how you, you know, I think if you're paying attention, it will, you you know, people deal with pain and suffering and loss in a lot of different ways. For me, it just opened my eyes to, to just kind of, it was one of those cliche stop and smell the roses kind of moments. Like I'm just going to sit and look at the clouds today when I'm going to look like when I was a little kid, I used to lay on the grass on my back and just look at clouds and just kind of just think and take some time from the phone and connecting and just kind of disconnect and just let me, I'm going to think about my mom right now, you know? And, and so that's how it affected me. Um, that, and I started a, a charity when my sister died because I learned a lot about women's cancer and what they go through. So I started the Coulier Foundation and we had charity hockey and um, golf outings. And so that was my way of, um, you know, putting energy back into something that can be so awful for so many people. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had times in your career where you felt like you couldn't get arrested. What was like the, for you, the, the, the darkest time regarding that? Like, when did you feel like you had really potentially bottomed out? Well, I didn't feel as though I had bottomed out because I've never stopped being creative. It's just that the ability for people to embrace your creativity had faded. And and like I said before, if you do this long enough, that just happens. You know, you can't, you can't be on top all the time. And, um, you, you know, so there was there was a time when I was doing um, Full House. I was hosting America's Funniest People. I was on the Muppet Babies cartoon on CBS for eight seasons. I was doing the Real Ghostbusters cartoon on ABC for seven seasons. And I was doing big stand-up dates, you know, like 12,000-seat arenas and stuff. And, and um, doing TV shows and talk shows and this and that. And... Um, and I got divorced, um, had my son, got divorced, and all of the shows got canceled within a few months. Wow. So here I was, a single dad with a um, a five-year-old son, and uh, everything stopped at the same time. And so I, I really didn't know if I was going to continue in show business which at the time um, seemed very logical to me. And so I, I turned down a lot of offers in New York. I turned down a lot of, uh, you know, 
offers to go on to other sitcoms at the time. And I just, I was just so burned out. And I, and I thought, wait a minute, I just want to be a dad. I want to be my son's dad. And so I, I basically just took time off and, uh, you know, coached baseball and coached hockey and hung out with him and, you know, um, was just a dad. And it pissed my agents and my managers mm-hmm. off. And um, and then I kind of got forgotten. I got put way on the back burner because everybody was like, eh, you know, he's not into it. Dave's, he's off doing his thing. And so, you know, the phone stopped ringing. How long? How long were you off doing your own thing? Or how long until the phone stopped ringing? Uh, the the phone, you know, stopped ringing for years. And it was because Full House had gone, you know, come and gone and peaked and everybody went on to different things. And um, I worked a little bit. I, you know, did pilots and, you know, hosted some shows and um, took eight years off from stand-up um, and just didn't know if I was ever going to do that again. But... Um, Basically, the phone stopped ringing, and and then I I got so far away from comedy that um, you know I thought, well, maybe this is it. I'm just done, and uh, that was kind of a day of reckoning where I thought, okay, now what? What do I do? Um, do I become a writer? Do I want to write books? Do I want to what What do I do now? And so um, there was a long period of just stagnation and. Uh, kind of um, introspective uh, where I started really thinking, okay, I did the showbiz thing. All my dreams came true that I dreamt about. Uh, Everything I wanted to achieve, I achieved. Um, You're you're probably thinking, really? That's, that was it. (laughs) That was your, that was your goal. No, Um, I, I wasn't even thinking that at all though. Cause I mean, you were on a hit sitcom for years and years and years. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I was on the cover of TV Guide and I thought, well, that's what, what else do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of the pinnacle back then of, oh, you're on the cover of TV Guide. This is as high as you can go name, in yeah. television. And, uh, it, you know, um, my Q rating was tied with Jerry Seinfeld at one point. Um, Q rating is just your recognizability, this, you know, thing that it's the Wizard of Oz, you know, and he, <laughs> right. he's got the special switch for the Q rating, but you know, and I just, I, I just really had kind of burned out on myself and, and just, you know, once I discovered how great it was just to be a dad. Like how old I, were uh, you at that time? I was, uh, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I really embraced just, you know, throwing a baseball in the backyard or reading Harry Potter books in bed at night, you know, and, uh, I just, I fell in love with being a father and then, um, you know, showbiz jobs started coming back little by little by little and started creeping back in. And then I um, went down to the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach one night. Hadn't been on stage as a stand-up for years. And the comics were so good, I got bit. I got bit by the bug again. Who was it? Do you remember? Um, uh, I can't even remember who. Um, Jeez, oh, do I remember? Um, uh you know, I'm trying to think of who was there that night, but I remember the takeaway was just that these people are so funny and they're so great. I have to get back up there and do Mm -hmm. this again. And so I started writing and I would go to um, clubs and I would uh, bomb terribly. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Just because, um, you know, I couldn't kind of rest on my laurels. I had to be 
you know, and they're booking me as a headliner and the, the opening and middle acts would blow me off the stage because they were on stage every night. Mm-hmm. And here I was trying, you know, new stuff while I'm headlining and, you know, you walk up on stage and people have these expectations like, oh, this is the funny guy from Full House. He's going to be great. And then they're staring at me 20 minutes in like, hmm, okay, <laughs> what happened here? And so I, I fought really hard to put together a, an hour and 20 minutes of great stuff. And um, that's where I'm at now. But it took me a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, But I fought for it. I really thought, okay, I can do this again, but it's going to be really, really hard. Right. What was the fir- When did you begin to feel like, oh, it's turning around? Uh, I was at the uh, Hilarities in Cleveland. And uh, I I had been doing some stuff that just uh, it wasn't quite there yet. And then I just kind of had, I went for a walk uh, on Lake Erie and I had this epiphany of, oh, this is how I can string everything together. And it just kind of, I rearranged the set and I moved, you know, and I had some transition lines that just were segues into different things. And I thought, okay, that's it. And I went on stage that night and I thought, well, here goes. It's a completely new order, new segues, and just stick with this. And uh, I uh, went out there and just did that set, and it was a standing ovation. And I just, you know, I just thought, wow, okay, just sometimes you got to just trust yourself. So I did, and that was kind of the turnaround. And that was, wow, that was probably seven years ago. What a great epiphany. Yeah, it was it was one of those moments that you get where you don't know where it's you know how it's fueled or where it comes from, but I just thought I got to get this. I've got to get this and and you know, I always go for like a pre-show walk for an hour just kind of get my head wrapped around my stuff and you know, blend in anything new where it's going to be in the set and um it was just one of those moments where it just kind of came together. And I thought, well, it's do or die. You know, you can't suck any worse than you've been sucking. <laughs> and that was a big, big turning point. Mm-hmm. After you got divorced, did you think you would ever get married again? No. No. I told my wife, um, <laughs> I said, look, you probably have the wrong guy because I've already stuck my hand in the fire. I already did that. Don't need to be married again. Um and I said, you know, I'm, I just, I don't want any more kids. I've been through diapers and nursery school and, you know, hockey, baseball, basketball, wrestling, water polo. <laughs> I've sat there with the parents, you know, and I just, uh, I'm off on a different, you know, road here in the road in my journey through life. So, you know, she was very understanding about that. Um, and then what happened? Then we got married. <laughs> <laughs> How did you meet her? I uh, I had gone through a a breakup of uh, a three year relationship, and my buddies um, did an intervention, and they said you got to get away from this woman because she's going to ruin your life. And I was like, well, what do you what do you mean? You know? And they're like, you don't see it, but everybody else does, and so that's why we're intervening here. What was the deal with her? Um, you know, it was just that um she had uh, manipulated the truth, so to speak, about a lot of uh, things in her life. And, uh, y- you know, I uh, I just kind of bought in and my friends and my family didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was really hot. 
<laughs> so um, that was a big selling point. Yeah. And so I, um, I broke it off with her and uh, my buddies took me up to Montana and they said, we're going to go do some fly fishing and we're going to bring our hockey gear and we're going to play hockey and we're going to be dudes and let's go. So we went to Montana and uh, right off the airplane, we, my buddy Phil, who owns a ranch up there, said, we're going to this bar. Some girls are going to meet us, you know. And, okay, sounds great, you know. And back on the horse, you know, here we go. And um, we went to this restaurant and um, I uh, was telling a story and I stuck my leg out and I <laughs> tripped a waitress. Oh, my God. Who... Turns out that was my wife, but I tripped her and I felt so horrible. And I was like, I am so sorry. And she turned around. She goes, boy, you'll do anything to meet a girl, won't you? <laughs> and I thought that was a really funny line. And she walked away and I thought, she is so cute. What have I done? What an idiot. I'm such an idiot. So then we're there and we're, you know, we're doing shots and drinking beers and heart. Dave, here you go. You're, you know, you're with the guys again, you know, forget that girl. You Did know? you miss that girl? Like, was um, she still on your mind? No. No, because she turned out to be just awful. Okay. You know, once the you know once the house of cards came down, it was like, whoa, okay, you guys, everyone is right. You're all right. And so um, I, uh, I go back to the men's room, and there, there, was, there were these beautiful photographs on the wall, and I was admiring the photographs. And, of course, Melissa walks by, and again, I said, hey, whose photographs are these? She goes, Really? And I said, yeah, they're amazing photographs. She goes, those are mine. Did somebody tell you to? No. She goes, all right, I got your number. I know exactly what you're all about now. I said, no, I think they're really, really great. you know. And then we were leaving and I, uh, I thought she's so cute and so nice and down to earth and she took it so well. So I said, look. She took you tripping her so well? That? She did, yeah. <laughs> she took everything so well. And so um, I said, look, you know, a, a bunch of us are going out tonight. We're going to this bar. Why don't you meet us later? I'll buy you drinks. Bring some girlfriends. We're just here having a good time. I just went through a breakup, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, she showed up with um, a few of her Montana girlfriends wearing their cowboy hats and their cowboy boots and blue jeans. And uh, they were really cute. And, um, so we just kind of hit it off and then started seeing each other long distance. And, uh, that was 12 years ago. How, and so I'm assuming she lives here now. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. She's lived here for a long time. Right. Does she miss Montana? Um, she does. Um, she grew up in the most incredible place. It's, it's basically, um, where they shot a river runs through it. Mm. That's was pretty much her backyard, the Yellowstone River. I mean, it's the most amazing scenery. Um, you know, and, and we go back there every summer, and uh, I like to fly fish. So, um, you know, so we both we both kind of miss it. One more question, then I think we should take some uh, questions that people sent in on Twitter. But I'm wondering with this um, woman that you dated for three years who had – lied or manipulated the truth about a lot of things and there was a whole house of cards situation i'm so intrigued by what happened but i'm just wondering do you feel like there's something like can you be too trusting is that a thing that you deal with yeah i think i um i kind of take people at their word and uh you know i've um learned over the years that that's that's a flaw that i have to deal with um because you know you can get burned by that 
you know, but I also don't want to have, um, you know, so many barriers up that I don't get the, you know, get to really know somebody. Right. You know? Yeah. I think I, uh, I take people at face value too, or rather I just, it takes me a while to jump to like, oh, I think this person is lying or I think they're working some angle yeah. or something like that. I always want to think that, you know, this is, oh, this is a good person. Yeah. A good person. And, and then you hear the story like, uh, let me tell you a story about that guy. You know, you're like, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. I relate. Let's take some questions over Twitter. We have a little song. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Megan wants to know, what are some of the most prominent pros and cons of Full House's phenomenal success? Phenom success is the pros are um, are that I get to work with people I adore. Um, I get to be um, really funny um, on a show that I'm very comfortable being on. Um, you know, there's not really any drawbacks. There's not really any cons. Uh, you know, um, this has been a love affair with our fans since 1987. And... and um, I can't tell you how many people over the years have come up to me and said, Hey, I had a really tough childhood. If it wasn't for full house, I might've blown my brains out. And when you hear that from a lot of people, not the blow the brains out part, but you know, I, my parents got divorced or I was abused or this and my, my solace, my comfort, my video comfort food was knowing that I could watch full house. And you know, that that's pretty special. Mm hmm. Lee Brun says, did he keep the skates from skating with the stars? It was skating with the celebrities, right? It was skating with celebrities on Fox, and my my skating partner was Nancy Kerrigan. And has he worn them since? Is the question. I have not worn them since. It was the most uh, difficult physical activity I've ever had to do in my life. Really? I uh, And you I, played hockey, so... Yeah, but it's different skating. Yeah. It's totally different kind of skates. It's a totally different style of skating. And I used to make fun of the figure skaters because I was a hockey kid growing up. And I look at the guy in the tights out there spinning around, <laughs> you know, and uh, I gained a uh, huge respect for figure skaters because it is not easy. But I do still have the skates. You do. Good. Do. Ashley Bloodworth says, whose idea was it to pick on the Olsons in Fuller House? I would say it's having fun with them. It wasn't picking on them. I guess it could be perceived that way, but um, it was more of a wink to the camera. So for the listeners who don't know, the Olsons um, are not part of Fuller House. Right. But they, they're family and they have an open invite. They're welcome to come back. It's an open door any anytime they want to come back. But um, it wasn't really, it was not done out of, um, to be negative, it was more kind of a wink at the camera than mm-hmm. anything because we knew the fans would react to that. Yeah. BC Thomas says, am I lame for still doing the hand motion when I say cut it out? <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, I have cut it out t-shirts on my website and people can't, we can't get them out the door fast enough. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, Michael Serrano, any good stories from the pre-Full House show, Out of Control? Fond memories of that wacky kid show. Wow. Um, that was like comedy college for me. It was um, it 
it was the first uh, series I was on, and I got to be the host. And um, it was early days of Nickelodeon, so they really left us alone. They were basically up in Canada at that time. And so we had this uh, little microcosm of comedy where I got to learn how to be a professional comedian while I was on this crazy TV show. Now, that show lasted one season, right? We did 26 episodes. They ran them for eight years, the wow. same 26 episodes. Were, were you disappointed when it got canceled, though, or when they didn't continue? That was a big year for me. I did The Tonight Show. I hosted Out of Control that year. I, um, I, uh, uh, I got uh, the Muppet Babies cartoon. I, um, it, it was like all these amazing jobs. Um, looking back now, I thought, wow, that was, that was such a cool time. But um, when Out of Control got canceled, I wasn't, I wasn't really, um, you know, I wasn't disappointed so much as I thought, wow, this is really a great springboard to go on to other things. Mm-hmm. And lastly, West Anthony says, when people ask him about Alanis Morissette, does he want to punch them, stab them, or shoot them? Uh, none of the above. Y- you know what? That This is a really, this is old information. I mean, we dated back in 1992. And um, she couldn't be a more sweet person. I, I've always taken the high road with her when people ask me about her. She was writing a lot of the Jagged Little Pill stuff. Um, but she is an extraordinary human being. She's talented. She's beautiful. She's um, extremely smart. She's got a great sense of humor. I look back at that turbulent time in my life. I was newly divorced, and um, it was it was difficult because I was living in Los Angeles and she was living in Ottawa, Canada. And it was tough enough trying to be a single dad and raise my son, but not just dating somebody long distance. This is another country. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was a difficult time in, in my life. And, and I was the one who, uh, who eventually broke it off. And um, it w- there was not like one instance or anything that she did. It was, it was all, you know, put the blame on me because it was me being selfish at a time where I needed to be selfish. I needed to get my, my act together. Do you have regrets about that time? Um, the regret that I have is that I hurt her feelings. And um, we got together years later after that. And uh, I Wait, got, what like, kind of got together? Like romantically we, saw each other again? I, well, kind of. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. But, um, you know, I will always say great things about her. Mm. I have nothing bad to say about her. Um, she's a, a really great lady. Well, see, it's interesting because I read an interview where it sounded like it wasn't clear whether the song really was about you. And she was like, it could have been about a bunch of people, but you can yeah. say that. But hearing you talk now, it sounds more like maybe it was about you. Well, you know, I um I got so beaten down by uh, the media and, you know, asking me if it was about me that one day I was at some red carpet event and I just said, yeah, it's about me. And everybody's, oh, it is about you, you know. And I, I real, I didn't realize it was this urban legend at, mm-hmm. at the time that I said that. But you know, it's it's become this urban legend, and and um, there's a lot of stuff in Jagged Little Pill that's very, um, 
reminiscent of our relationship of things that happened and um you know i know where the bug you in the middle of dinner line comes from um where does it come from i was having dinner i was having dinner and she called and she wanted to talk about our relationship and she was in canada and i was in la having dinner and i said can i i'm in the middle of dinner can i call let me just call you back okay and so that pissed her off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, it's interesting because I feel like from her album, oh, you know what? Well, I'll just say this because I started saying it. From her albums, she sounds like, um, even though I totally relate, like a handful, but it sounds like you're saying it was it was you that was just not really in a relationshipy place. Yeah, enough. exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, she's an extraordinary human being. I, I have nothing bad to say about her. I will always wish her well. Let's do Just Mirror Everyone. But first, I want to say, hey, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you so much for your Amazon support. And also, while you're at Alison Rosen, we have T-shirts available, bonus episodes, all sorts of fun stuff. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe, itunes.com slash Rosen, And also, leave a nice comment. Okay, let's hear the song. Sometimes I ponder on Something I have thought or done Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is where people write in or tweet in things that they think or do where they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? Hmm. And then we weigh in on whether we also do these okay. things. J Mo's for A Rose says, When I see an old photo, can't help but think that everyone pictured is dead. I don't. It's not like I can't help but think that, but sometimes that will occur to me. Or another sort of similar thing, growing up I would watch old movies and I would find that I would get a crush on someone and then I would think, well, that person's dead or super old. <laughs> like I remember I had a crush on whoever played Artful Dodger and Oliver, mm-hmm. but there was like a over 30-year age difference at that point. Yeah. I don't, It depends what the photo is, you know? I mean, how far back are we going? Like <laughs> to the beginning of photography, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah, they're those people dead. are dead. Yeah. yeah, they're all dead. Uh, you know, if I see an old historic photo, I don't think, oh, they're all dead. I think, what an extraordinary, you know, snapshot of a place in time, a mm-hmm. point in place in time. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't look at like, you know, you look at those shows like, uh, like the old black and white you know, kinescope TV shows and you, they cut to the audience and they're all clapping. You're like, oh, that, all those people are dead and they're clapping. <laughs> I weirdly do this, but only with animals. Oh. When I see an animal in, a, in an old movie or TV show, I just think, oh, that... Because if you see an, a person, they might still be alive. Mm-hmm. Right. But if it's, a black, if it's something black and white and you see an animal, you just go, oh, man, the, the, the cat's dead. Well, like old Full House episodes. <laughs> Comet. Comet. Comet's... And Ajax, they, we had two dogs, Comet and Ajax. They're both, they've been gone a long time. Aww. <clears throat> and people were asking us, is that the same dog from, <laughs> I was like, no, no. It's just it's impossible, yeah. That would be a 30-year-old dog. B. Slammon says, before wiping in a public restroom, I rip off the first bit of TP, toss it in the toilet, then use the fresh TP. I only do this if the toilet paper looks crinkled and I can like I just know that it was in someone's fist a second ago. Yeah, I I do that too. I do that too. Um do you wipe up or down? It's 
crazy that you are saying that? Because you're asking that because I was just this morning thinking about how you're always advised to wipe front to back, which I have assumed just means wipe in the front first and then wipe in the back. However, I'm wondering, do they literally mean like the motion should go up to down because that's just a weird way to wipe? So sorry, your question was up or down? I wipe up. Yeah. Some people wipe down. Some people, yeah, go between the legs and pull through forward. And I'm like, that's weird. That's weird. I can't, I, I feel like I would like graze the water with my hand accidentally, yeah. even though I don't think I would. But when my son was little, he would wipe. I kept telling him, you know, wipe down, um, you know, but he was wiping like weight, like down his leg. He was. He Dragging just, it down his leg. Yeah, he was just going way too far. Like I was like, "Wait, whoa, you're the, wait." You now, got, why were you saying wipe down, not up? Um. Oh no, I, 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 I take that back. I was telling him wipe up, and he was wiping down. Oh. And I said to him at one point, I said, "Don't wipe down. That brings a frown." <laughs> and I thought he would remember that. And then, um, this was like a real. And I talk about this is a bit in my act, but it's actually a true story. And then I, I said. I was having nightmares like I would wake up and like, oh, my kid's never going to be able to wear shorts, you know, <laughs> like if he keeps doing this. And he was about to go off to nursery school and they, one of the, you know, prerequisites was they want the kids being able to wipe themselves. Mm. And so we had like two weeks to go and I was like, oh man, this is, we got to, you know, nip this in the butt, <laughs> you know? So I kept telling him like, wipe up, wipe up. And he kept wiping down and, um, I had this parental light bulb moment. I thought, this is what I can say to him. And I said, okay, now wipe up and you're a happy pup. Wipe down and your junk gets brown. <laughs> and he said, dad, did you really used to say that to me? And I said, yeah, I said it to you once, but, <laughs> but it's a true story. Nursery school seems so young for them to be wiping themselves. Although yeah. I don't recall, I don't know how I handled this at nursery school, but I feel like I was, I needed help beyond that i, I think. still need yeah. a little help now and then but <laughs> i have my mom flying. i carry baby wipes with me everywhere do you really yeah they're in my my truck right now yeah yeah um my, they're just great to have I keep them in my golf bag my hockey bag you never know my husband is a big baby wipes fan he's a yeah i haven't i haven't joined that club yet but one day matt says on store shelves, I take items from two or three rows deep, assuming people have already handled and put back the ones in front. Sometimes I will do this. Not always, but sometimes. Well, they're not touching the food. If it's in a box, if right. it's packaged, you're not eating the packaging. True. The food. What about is... like bread though? Yeah, but it's still, it's packaged. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes I like to. That's a, that's a big germaphobe right there. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Keith Hepworth says, oh, speaking of germs, feel like foaming soap isn't as strong as old-fashioned liquid soap. I need four to five pumps to get my hands clean. I don't like foaming soap. I distrust it. And also, I feel like in general, it just, yeah, it doesn't feel like there, there's not enough soap happening there. It just feels well, too flimsy. Soap is just a conductor. It doesn't kill the germs. Mm -hmm. I know they say soap is antibacterial. It doesn't really kill the germs. It just slides the, them off. Yeah. It it really works to slide the germs off your hands. So how do you feel about foaming soap? Not a big fan. Yeah. Not a big foam soap fan. I don't know what the plus is. I it. am addicted to the antibacterial stuff like in airports and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, if they have those, I always go over and 
give it a little spritz. You don't find it drying on your skin? I don't. How nice for you. (laughs) Rich Bryant says, French fries taste better when the ketchup is squirted onto them than when you dip them. Have we done this one before? We did a ketchup one, but I don't think we did this one. We did a ketchup one, but it was a kind of generally dismissive yes, of ketchup one. Yes, it was. Ketchup it wasn't is this. Because right. this, this one really raised my eyebrows. Okay. I'm a dipper. I'm a dipper. I will squirt the ketchup off to the side and, and dip. I would rather dip as well. I feel like it's too unwieldy if you just squirt directly into the fries. Who knows wh- what's going to happen? Right. And and uh, your hands get messy. Yes. Yeah. I dip because of the mess, but... They're saying, does it taste different? Taste. I don't. How can it? Yeah, I don't. How can it taste different? It can't. Now I have to try it. I mean, unless you, what you want, unless the person wants a thin ribbon of ketchup in the middle of the fry. Well, there there is a thing where if you squirt it on the fries, then sometimes they'll absorb it because it's oh. sitting on them. But I've never noticed that. But no. you, that could be a thing. Do you eat chili fries? Sometimes. Do you like chili fries? God, it's been years, but I, I'm pregnant right now, so I could go for some chili fries. <laughs> oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Is this first? This is first, yeah. Do you know what it is yet? Um, it's a baby. It's a baby, yes. Um, we, don't, yeah. we don't know. Are yet. you going to find out? Yes. You are. So yeah. you want to know. I want to know. Yeah. I do. I, um, I know people who decided not to find out, mm-hmm. um, but- uh, I don't understand that. No, I don't quite either. Because it's like, you know, like, wouldn't you want to know if you're having- you know like twins like is it going to be a boy and a girl is it two girls am i going to have two boys i want to be prepared i don't like the element of surprise not when it's a human being (laughs) i i kind of want to know i'm having a daughter you know and you get excited and you you start it it prepares you i think um did you with your son did you know yes yeah and did you want a boy or did you want a girl i um you know, I didn't really, didn't really matter. You know, didn't really, didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit of a slip up. It's a little bit of a mistake. How'd you feel when you found out that he was on his way? I, uh, I crapped my pants. <laughs> um, you know, I, it was, uh, it was a very turbulent relationship. You know, and uh, we got pregnant very early into the relationship, and we didn't really know each other. Mm-hmm. She was um, an actress, right? Who had been yes, on Full House playing yeah. adult Michelle. Yeah, she was a very big model in New York City, mm-hmm. and uh, was a very popular model. And um, you know, this was at a very turbulent time in my life. Me and John Stamos were both single, and we were reckless. And here we were, and stars famous. of this big hit show. All of a sudden. And uh, we would just pick up and go to Hawaii or Vegas or let's go, let's go. And it was, you know, it was drinking and fun and, you know, whatever. And it was a reckless time in my life. And then I I met my son's mom and, um, boy, pregnant, boom, right out of the chute. And I was like, whoa, uh, okay. That sobered me up. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so we decided to, you know, go through and get married and have the baby. But it it was two people who shouldn't have been together how come just totally different points of view about so many things and that happens when you don't know somebody well enough yeah Yeah. did you convince yourself that it could work uh no i did not i i knew that it was probably not going to work but i wanted to honor this child that was 
between us. Mm-hmm. And that, so I always tell people, I really married a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so you stayed together for like a couple years? Almost two years. Mm-hmm. Almost two years. But it, but it was hard. It was really difficult. Just Did because, you fight? Um, it wasn't so much um, fighting as it was um, two people who just couldn't be on the same page. It, it, you know. So it was more frustration than fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, well, don't you understand? Like, I know I don't understand. I don't get it. When you finally split up, um, was that an improvement because there was no longer this thing that wasn't working or were you upset? It was a huge relief for me um, because the relationship was extremely difficult. And I thought it's going to be better for my son for us to be apart and uh, you know, hopefully we can circle back around and become two parents that um, can get along. And we did, we went to therapy for a couple of years, but then, you know, every time there was a little league game, my son could look over and there was mom and dad sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. We were very, we tried to be very civil to That's each other. That's great. A lot of kids don't have that. And we would sit at every hockey game and we would go to every, you know, graduation and sit next to each other. And, you know, we were very civil to each other. And and that took a lot of work mm-hmm. to get to that point. Yeah. How is it now? Uh, it's fine. You know, but he's 25. He's a pilot for SkyWest Airlines. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's a man. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's fine. Now for this personal stuff, we need to talk about ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've really gotten personal on your show. I love that, though. That's what I hope. Yes. Good. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> Ishe says, just mirror everyone. Get annoyed, suspicious when someone is super vocal about a political topic or politician, even if I agree with them. Hashtag tired of it all. That's like hot take fatigue, I think. I don't know if I get suspicious or annoyed. Well... Yeah, if someone's like vociferous about anything in a really fervent way, I think I might be like, okay, just calm down. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think you should force your opinion on anyone and be too assertive because, you know, if somebody doesn't think the same way you do, okay, Mm -hmm. fine, be fine with that. But, you know, don't try and convince someone that because you think differently that you're wrong because you can both be wrong. I was at um, my nephew's birthday party and my husband and my friend were talking pretty loudly and negatively about Trump in a way Mm -hmm. where it's like assumed that kind of everyone probably feels this way. But I knew that there was a woman there who is super conservative and pretty – I didn't know she was pro-Trump, but I knew that she's definitely more Trump than Hillary. Right. And she's very religious and she's like kind of the opposite of everything that they were saying. And I sat there just kind of feeling so uncomfortable and then thinking, well, this is not really my problem. And but but still, I just felt uncomfortable. But she actually what happened? She they made. I think I don't had Trump said something like a equating himself with Jesus or there was some like Trumpy Jesus, something or other. And then she piped in and she was like. I like Trump. I think he's a great man, but he's certainly not Jesus. So it's like, oh, good. Everyone agrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, politics and religion, you know, those are the two 
conversations you should never have at a dinner party because right. someone's going to get upset. You know, it's it's one of those conversations that there's never a winner. There's never a loser. It's just kind of, all right, null set, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just, um, I'm tired of politics. Yeah. To be qu- I'm tired of the whole process right now because it's it's shameful. It is really shameful what our country has devolved into that our system is so broken that it sucks. Mm-hmm. It just sucks now. It it's just um it's great that people have beliefs, it's great that people have an opinion, but the way that everything is kind of molded now into this broken system that we have uh no one wins and and now it's like when i was a kid didn't matter if it was a democrat or a republican in the white house you respected the office of the presidency you respected the president of the united states you just did and now uh there's such polar opposition between the two parties that doesn't matter who's president they're a lame duck from day one, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's awful because nothing gets done with the house or the Senate. And from day one, the opposition party is just trying to tear down whatever the opposition party is in the white house from day one. And it's sports and it's awful because we all lose. And it's just, boy, our government system really needs a reboot. And everybody thinks that Donald Trump is that reboot. Um, when he got into this race, and I don't want to get too political, when he got into this race, I was I was actually happy about it because yeah. I thought, okay, this is going to change our system in a good way. I never thought that he'd get this far. I really didn't. But I thought he's going to shake up just his presence in this, you know, in, in the primaries, whatever. It's going to shake up our, you know, our political system enough to where people in Washington might start thinking differently. And it hasn't happened. It doesn't matter if Hillary or Trump is in the white house. Doesn't it just doesn't matter because our system is broken. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you agree at all with that? I do. I do. Um, In terms of it, not mattering who's in the white house. I have this like, Oh, please God, let it not be Trump. Um, because I'm afraid because with all his rhetoric, I'm afraid of like, I don't really know what he stands for. Um, I, I have this hunch that he doesn't really stand for what he claims to stand for. I feel like he's kind of realized that he can get a lot of popularity by spewing what to me is like incredibly almost fascist. He knows how to get a rise out of people. Yes. And so my, I like deep down, I'm like, he can't really believe that, but I don't really know. But then I go, oh, you know what though? He couldn't even enact all the thing. Like even if, even if he is as horrendous as he appears to be, he couldn't actually get any of that done. So I guess in that way, I do agree that like the office of president, they can't really do very much. And there's so much just gridlock and log jam happening but there used to be this intersection of you know there was a common place between the two parties where they agreed on some things now it's such polar opposition that it's like i don't even know what i am anymore you know am i a democrat am Mm. i a republican what do these people stand for i don't know where to gravitate to you know i mean um you know do you gravitate towards the person Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Who's running? 
do you gravitate towards the party? And I find myself thinking, well, what am I gravitating? To? What's the message here? What is, what's, what's the guideline here? Right. What are we, what are we really voting for? If you're just, if you're a staunch Democrat or you're a staunch Republican, the parties have changed so much yeah. that it, it's like, well, what have they evolved into? I don't even know. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely different than when we learned about government and civics in school. Because there was a there was a dividing line. You knew what each party stood for, and you could you could pretty much, you know, um, be guaranteed that when they got in the White House, that it would be skewed a little bit that way, but not so much where the, you know, the opposition party was just trying to tear it all down. Right. Let's tear it all down because they don't believe what we believe. Right. Oh. Dave Cross says, whenever I see an identical make model. Not co- the David Cross. No, no. This is a, the other okay. the other one. Oh, okay. This is the other one. <laughs> yeah. But to the people in his life, he is the. He is. Yeah. Yes. Whenever I see an identical make model or color of my partner's car, I check the plate number to make sure it's not stolen. I don't even know what my own license plate number is. Yeah. So I don't do this. Yeah. I think my first car, That's... I had memorized a license plate. But then since then, I just figure i just look it up whenever i need to i was know. just thinking about that the other day I, I looked at my license plate i put i bought my wife a car and i was putting her plates on the car and uh it i was i was like man when i was a kid i made kind of a you know um what do you call it a mnemonic like, device a mnemonic <laughs> device of you know uh, it's seven cutie after school you know yeah. as you know and i was like oh okay that's what it is seven cuties after school or something like that but now i I couldn't tell you what my yeah. license plate number is. I also had one. It was like two DRZ eight seventeen. So it was like two doctors ate seventeen hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to make up one with my Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> Candace Pie says I still check for murderers. Wait, be- Candace Pie. How P Y E P Y. Okay. All right. What if it, it was just P I P I like yeah like the number? She's three point one four. Can you go further than that? I don't. I. I you know what? I'm always. I always want to learn what that third digit is after the decimal point. Do you know what it is? I what? want to guess it's a one, but I don't actually know. It's a it's a one. Oh, good. I did 3. know. 3.141? Hmm. 1412? I think it's 5.9 after that. Okay. Wait, you're sitting in front of a device <laughs> where you could look up on a wide well, it database. Me, it just occurred to me that I'm the only one with the computer, so I could have just rattled off six numbers yeah. and pretended that yeah. I knew pi. <laughs> People are going to be checking that one. Yeah. Candace Pye says, I still check for murderers behind the shower curtain every single time I use the bathroom. No, I don't do that. But I don't like to, if I'm in bed, I like the closet door to be closed and the bathroom door to be closed. For some reason, the open doors where I can peer into other rooms, and uh, especially if there's mirrors in there, that creeps me out. Yeah, that's poltergeist. Yeah. Um, check for murderers? No, uh-uh. we have uh, glass shower doors, so oh, we don't have any curtains. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice. And lastly, MT Amy says, just mirror everyone, all of the sudden or all of a sudden? I say, A, the sounds wrong. I lately have noticed people saying all of the sudden. I always just thought it was all of a sudden. All of a sudden. Yeah. I've never really noticed people saying all of the sudden. You will. All of the suddenly, you'll notice it. Really? I've I've noticed it a few times. Hmm. I see you mulling stuff over, Jeff. Do you say all of you don't say all of the sudden? No, I say all of a sudden. All of this. But if you saw it written, would that seem weird? All of this 
Yes, it did. I feel like I I feel like I did see it written somewhere. Hmm. My friend Dino Cicerelli, uh, who we saw last week, who is a former um, uh, NHL hockey superstar, Hall of Famer, actually. He says, uh, you'll be in the middle of a conversation. You'll go, Oliver. And you go, what? He goes, yeah, Oliver Sutton. (laughs) And I don't know why he says that all the time, but I'm like, Dino, that is one of the weirdest things. He goes, Oliver. I'm like, what? Oliver Sutton? Like, that's just kind of. Just out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere, yeah. Huh. That's like a, that's a real dad joke in that it's a joke my dad would make. Yeah. I'm going to suggest it to my dad in case he needs yeah, to add a yeah, new one. Suggest it to it's him. time to add a new one. Yeah. Dave Coulier, it was so much fun having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And everyone should go out and get The Adventures of Jimmy Booger. It's on iBooks and uh, Amazon. And... Tell them where to find you and plug anything else that you would like them to look um, out for. DaveCoulier.com. You can track me like a rented mule there. Um, you can see where I'm playing. Um, and uh, yeah, take a look at my little store there. There's all kinds of funny, silly stuff. Your website is fun. Thanks. Fun website. Thanks. Thank you again. It was What a pleasure. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Alison Rosen Show. 